welcome to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome everyone to the Built on Air podcast. This is season nine, episode six. We're halfway through this season. It's good to be with you. We've got myself, Dan Fellers, and Camille Parks with us. Hello, Camille. Good morning. Welcome back. We missed you last week. Sorry. It's good. You're allowed. We're uh, Ali's out this week, so it's just Camille and I. And Camille looks a year wiser today. Well, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Camille had a birthday last week, so I did. Yeah, so. I'm old. That's right. I'm still plenty older, so you don't have to worry. All right. Well, as always on our episodes, we do four different segments talking about uh, all things Airtable. Our first one, we'll go through the different communities and talk about what's going on in all the different Airtable communities. Then we'll do a spotlight on our primary sponsor, On to Air. We'll then do a scripting time, diving deep into a script and learn more about that. Then we will do a field focus on the button field and how you can use that. <clears throat> And then we'll talk about the built-on-air community. And then finally, we'll end with an industry view, view. So that's the agenda for today. As always, with our Round the Bases, we go through and, and figure out what people are talking about and what we can learn from that. We always like to start with the Airtable community. And the big news from last week was the maintenance and the downtime. And it was, I was, I was impressed. It was, I was actually up. It was Friday night, 10 o'clock my time. Actually, I guess 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock Pacific, your time. And uh, it was, what, five minutes? I don't know if you watched it or not. <laughs> no, I've been joking for the past week that I would be because yeah. you know, that, that was my birthday. And it was, <laughs> so much was going on. I actually was not using Airtable at 10 p.m., which is, you know, atypical for me. <laughs> there you go. That's good. It forced you to get out. So that's good. But yeah, I was watching. I did get a handful of emails from Zapier um, while it was down. The API was down. So the big question is, have you noticed any difference? 
I haven't. And I feel like if if there's some, <laughs> this is where I get fired if I haven't noticed it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it hasn't been noticeable. I have, I, I logged into a client that's a, that's an enterprise client and um, has a pretty large base. And I actually did notice a uh, significance on the initial load of the data was, was, it seemed a bit faster, but it wasn't like night and day. Um, so hopefully it was more kind of preparatory for things to come. But I do think there, there was some speed ups um in their database loading so hopefully that's that's here to stay cool. and more to come so that was good um definitely definitely uh we'll see what what comes from from that in the future all right next one this one was interesting um this one was is a question about folders and organizing workspaces into folders and I like this because you get two uh, animated people, Bill French and Kavan, going at it a little bit. One day we're going to get Bill and Kavan on at the same time and just give them a topic to go at it. <laughs> be good. So I actually, mean, Bill yeah. is, we've already had Kavan on. Bill's coming on. Bill's scheduled to join us. <laughs> but if we got the two of them, that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so talking about folders. Um, you know, how to organize all your workspaces. And there is kind of some back and forth between uh, Bill and Kavan on different strategies and, and pricing aspects, how that plays into it. Any, any thoughts on folder organization? Yeah, I think it was a good point to bring up because it it's such a simple sort of move, um, allowing people to move things into folders. It's pretty, it's a thing that everyone's used to, and it's not a foreign concept to a lot of, um, I guess, similar sorts of products. Um, but the, the point that was raised was Airtable's pricing is based on workspace. And uh, one of the main reasons why you would separate things across workspaces is to have finer control over permissions. And so if you were to allow subfolders within a workspace, it follows that you would want to apply different um, permissions to the individual folders within a workspace, which sort of negates the sort of strategy that they've based their pricing structure on. So they would have to they would have to make adjustments to make that make sense um, financially. I think from their perspective, and. It, you know, there's arguments to be made about work workspace-based pricing not being the best just to begin with. Um, right. And I think many people would prefer folders, but I think if you if you add the concept of folders, it you don't need workspaces anymore. If that makes sense, like if you change mm -hmm. everything to be like Google Drive, where you just have a drive and as many folders and subfolders as you need. I think that is um, ideally how I would like to structure things, but you would need to develop a pricing model that would support that. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, that decision, I'm sure it was, that was as far, you know, I, I imagine workspaces was there from day one and just kind of how they set it up and now they're years into it and might be rethinking you know, what makes sense. So 
I think they haven't decided fully, you know, what their, what their long-term pricing structure looks like. And so until then, I doubt they make any changes to adding folders or anything until they determine that pricing. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's definitely good, good back and forth, good points on both sides of, of, um, you know, what, what they should do and, and things of that nature. But I don't, I don't foresee folders coming to workspaces any, anytime soon. Yeah. I don't, uh, I've heard no whispers, so yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure there. So anyway, it's good, good discussion there. All right. Next one. This is an oldie, but goodie. So originally started in 2017 brought up, uh, recently, and um, just thinking about this. So, so the question is account switching. So especially if you're a consultant or, or work with lots of clients, switching in and out of accounts within Airtable, you pretty much have to log out and log back in. So people are demanding, asking for ways to easily switch between accounts so that you can get into your, your client accounts um, pretty quickly. And uh, so this was brought back up. It was originally uh, asked in 2017 and, and more people. And, you know, it's been three years. People saying, come on, Airtable. We know you can do this. Um, you know, again, this is probably similar to um, similar to the other question about folders is because you can get, you, you know, a, a base or a workspace can be shared with you. In theory, you could have one account and just share, you know, and get access to others, but then that would get billed. And so sometimes it's easier to, to log in separately. And, and um, so it kind of gets, gets tricky trying to do that. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, that's also tough. And I don't know what the right answer is, but it's uh, right now, whoever owns the workspace pays for it. Um, but like you said, if you share it with, I don't know, 15 people and they all have more or less the same amount of access and permissions as you do, um, they're not charged, but you are. But what you could in theory do is make as many bases or workspaces as you want with, um, I know. What I'm saying doesn't make sense. I'm just now realizing because you're charged by the number of editor permission users. Yeah. Um, but it only goes to, it still only goes to that one person and not, there's no way to split it amongst the accounts, which is, um, which could be an issue, I think, for, for some companies because it means you have to make sure that you have one company account that sets up all of your um workspaces yeah yeah so anybody struggling with this i'll tell you what i do because i i do log into many different um airtable accounts so there's a chrome extension called sessionbox sessionbox.io that allows you to have if you're using chrome have different tabs that have different sessions so you can actually and then you can save your session so if I open up mine, I've got many 
Airtable logins that I've got access to and I just click on it and it will automatically log me into that one. So it's free for personal use. Uh, there is a paid version for commercial use and very, very useful. Uh, it's a lifesaver. I don't, uh, it would be a pain to have to log out and log into each of those every time. So check out sessionbox.io if, if this is a challenge for you to have to log in and out. It's like, David, that could work for you if you're listening. <laughs> All right. That was it for uh, the Airtable community. Not a whole lot. I think, you know, they're not going to release any new features with the database upgrade. So now that the database is upgraded, let's see, maybe they've got some new features that might be coming out this week. We shall see. All right. Next one on to uh, Reddit community. Um, so I know a lot of people like dark mode. So this is a question about is, is there a dark mode in Airtable? I know a lot of people um, like that. I typically don't do dark mode. I probably should for the eyes. But, um, but if you are looking for dark mode, uh, Airtable doesn't support one natively, but there are Chrome extensions and browser extensions that, that do that and they're suggested. There's some suggestions in this thread. So worth, uh, worth checking out. I remember we saw a screenshot of a dark mode of a Airtable base a week or two ago, and we're trying to figure out if that was natural, but I'm assuming that came from a Chrome extension. Yeah, I know. I know there's a bunch of different tools that let you do that with any website. And it would be nice, I think, if it were available, especially for the desktop app. Um, I am a fairly recent converter into using dark mode uh, for most of my apps. So, you know, for a while, it didn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. And are you using an extension? I'm not because um, it doesn't bother me that much. But um, so if they have it, you'll use yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll switch over if I if they make it available. Gotcha. Makes sense. All right. Next one. This one's a big one. I think you know a little bit about this one. So our friend Chris over at the uh, Facebook Airtable community um, shared, and I know uh, they talked about it on, on their uh, weekly YouTube chat. Um, and I think you were on that episode as well. So you might have some insights here. So he shared a link to a live episode with Billy Littlefield um, from Airtable. And um, they went through, actually, I guess there was more people on the, on, the, on the episode from Airtable. And it was kind of some of their developers and talking about... Um, what's going on within the product and gave some good insights into what's coming. And so I'm going to share some of uh, what Chris, Chris took some screenshots and shared them with the Facebook community um, that uh, you should join as well. It's a good community of thousands of uh, Airtable users within Facebook, but let's check out some of these screenshots that I think are interesting. So one of them was the future of sync. So they shared about um, bi-directional syncing between their different syncing sources. So Salesforce, big one, so that it will automatically sync back and forth. So two-way syncing between Airtable and Salesforce or any of their other um, sources that, that can. 
um, perform a two-way sync. So I think that is pretty powerful. Um, it gives insight into, you know, I think you can tell from, from their product development, but that they think this is a pretty critical element of uh, Airtable's future is being able to, to sync to other sources. So I think that's, a, that's pretty cool. Uh, I do think for, for sync to really shine, they gotta be able to increase the record limit. Um, it's just the, the volume of data that's in these other systems that they're trying to sync with will just bog down Airtable's limits. So once, once yeah. they open that up. I think there's a th sort of three limitation thing with the current syncing. It's, it's only one run di directional. So if they make it bi-directional or two-way sync, like the slide is saying, that'd be great. Um, right now you can only have three sources synced into a single table. Um, I think that limit should probably be 10. Um, I can see people wanting like a hundred different things all going into one and that's, <laughs> you know, a lot. Uh, but 10 seems like a nice round number that gets to a lot of what smaller kind of companies sort of need sometimes. And then the third one is uh, the limit of the total number of records you could have in a base. So um, once those three are adjusted, I think uh, syncing, native syncing in their table would be a lot more powerful. Yeah, that would be cool. So that's one of them. There's another one that I'm maybe more excited about. Um, let's see here. Actually, there's more comments. All right, this one. So there have been rumors and hints within the Airtable community of uh, custom apps coming into custom views. This, I think, is the first public uh, information shared on that regard. So um, there's a screenshot that shows all the custom apps within the sidebar, but also custom views within the actual body of the, of the uh, Airtable. So basically being able to generate a custom view that, that takes the full screen. So this I'm excited about. I'm sure you are as well as a developer. Yes. So last week was sort of a, a whirlwind of uh, Airtable-based uh, announcements, I guess. They had their weekly table talk and they had a, their AMA, their first Ask Me Anything. Um, both involved uh, uh, Taylor Savage, um, and who's on the product team at Airtable and is uh, pretty involved with like the developer community. And then there was this uh, this event that you have the screenshots from with Bill Billy Littlefield, and all three of those events talked about the sort of move to uh, making it easier for people to develop customized views. And there's not a whole lot of information that has been revealed because it's still very much under development and it probably won't see any sort of beta until I'm guessing 2023. Um, that's a, like, no one said that number. Yeah. I'm guessing based on the amount of information that I have been told at this point. Um, but what Taylor had said was um, he was talking about the move from Gantt which used to be an app and is now a view and now timeline more recently used to be an app is now a view. And he was saying, if you were to look at the code, if you went in the inspector in Chrome and looked at what, how 
timeline interacts, it's the same code as it was when it was an app. It's now a view. So I think what they're doing is making it so that the same sort of scripting environment developers are used to now with the custom apps development, making expanding it to being able to develop a custom view. Um, that is my interpretation of all that I have heard in the past week or so. And it's a long way out, but it's very promising um, that that's where, that's the move they're sort of getting because apps are great, but views are a much more core piece of Airtable functionality. Um, for longtime users, you may remember that apps didn't used to exist. It used to only be views. And then they sort of introduced apps. And then years later, they introduced the app development environment so third parties can make their own apps. But views have been at the core of Airtable since like the get-go. So making those custom, I think, will um, build to uh, a much stronger product overall. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was the the thought I had as far as the, the Gantt and the timeline. So they've proven that it's doable. Uh, now they just have to open it up to the to the developer community, which both Camille and I are a part of. So definitely fingers crossed. Hopefully it's not 2023, 2022, hopefully. That's we'll just me open. being pessimistic. <laughs> I mean, it could come sooner, but if I yeah. say 2023, I'll be then happier be, when it comes a little bit earlier. There you go. That works. So cool. So there was, uh, there was one other that, um, just talking about the the automation and it being kind of more of a programming environment, maybe hinting towards something similar to like an Integra mat where you can really build more advanced uh, functionality. So we might see more uh, along those lines. But even you know we we talked about when they released this new view here of of automations that it was clear they were moving in kind of this direction. I don't think you yeah. make that UI change without thinking down the road. So, yeah, it was it was it was too much room to give a strictly linear process. So, I think we're going to get branching automations at some point. Um, still a guess, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty solid about that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, so those were kind of some of the the insights from from that um, episode, and and we'll see um, if they do that again. We'll try to get the word out. It was kind of this one. The other ones, they're they're normal table talk, and and AMA. I think we're better advertised this one. We're yeah, I hadn't heard that was the one that I hadn't been to of the three because yeah. I never heard of it. But the other two, um, it's they post on the forums. It was on Twitter. So, yeah. 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 So good stuff coming. Always, I always love seeing uh, what what Airtable is thinking as far as the future of the product. So, so anytime there's something public out there, I want to make sure we share it with the community. All right, moving on, on to Twitter. Let's see what we got here. I got to refresh. Page here. Um, this one is an article. I watched it all. Looks like I'm 
bugging out here. Yeah, I can't. Um, I can't see your screen right now. Well, I can see it, but there's nothing. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, my, I think I've got some internet. It's loading still. So um, VentureBeat did a presentation with um, Zapier and Airtable, I believe. Actually, I think it's with just Zapier. Yeah, so just Zapier, um, but talking about how Zapier uses Airtable. So Zapier is a heavy customer of Airtable. They use it for all their stuff. Um, and Oh, I actually did have Airtable. So I had one of the co-founders, Andrew. Um, I haven't heard much uh regarding his name so this is one i'm gonna add to my list uh to watch the replay of this so if you're interested to see a real life use case of how a company like zapier uses airtable check this one out and um we'll see see if that one's any good so i'll watch that and then next time i'll, I'll give an update if, if there's anything worthwhile in there all right, this one I just think was cool. So this is somebody who um, started a business and they basically say, anytime I build a business or an app, I start with Airtable. And he gives his um, process of starting a new app and how Airtable fits into that. So if you want, if you have an app idea, and, and by app, he's not talking about like an Airtable app. I think he's talking about kind of a, any kind of general purpose web app. Mm -hmm. um, and using Airtable as the backend database, um, and not so not, he's not necessarily talking about Airtable apps, just apps in general. So this tweet is pretty cool. If if you've got ideas that you're not sure where to get started, uh, this could give a good framework and and how Airtable can help in that effort. So definitely worthwhile. We're seeing we've had on previous um, episodes people mentioning, you know, seven figure, I think there is an eight figure company who's in built entirely on top of Airtable. So you can build businesses on Airtable. <clears throat> That's a good way. All right, that uh, ends our around the bases and what's going on with the Airtable community. So you are now up to date with everything being discussed. Next, we're talk about Onto Air. Onto Air is the primary sponsor of the Built On Air podcast. And I'm the founder of Onto Air. It's a suite of tools that help you run your business on Airtable, a variety of different ways that you can enhance your Airtable experience and workflows. Um, today, we're going to talk about we just released a new um, article that goes deep into our integration with Google Sheets. So if you want to get your data from Airtable into Google Sheets, this article is the one that, that you should be reading. And it's very powerful. Um, it talks about how you can actually build charts within your Google Sheets and dynamically convert those charts into images. So something that you can't do within Airtable charts is like, like extract that chart as an image to be populated into a document or something. By using Google Sheets and their charting, you can um, do that use case. There's a good video that goes with it. So great walkthrough, uh, um, everything going on there. So check it out. It's in our resources section, our tutorials and guides and um, very powerful stuff. So you can actually 
uh, migrate, you can sync an entire view or table over into a sheet, or you can do on a per record basis. So you can use, I've used Google Sheets as like a template for invoices. We also have support for Google Docs, but there are some advantages to doing uh, templates and things like that within Google Sheets as well. So if you have any needs for templates and things like that, or, or getting your data into a Google Sheet, check out Ontario Actions and our Google uh, integrations. So that is our Ontario Spotlight. Now we're gonna move on to scripting time. So in scripting time is a chance if you are new to scripting or even experienced, it's a great way to learn more about scripting and how it can enhance your Airtable experience. So what we're gonna be looking at is um, there, if you haven't already, if you go into um, add an app, and you click on this scripts tab, there's actually a, a growing library. It could be better. Um, I probably need to add to this library, but I haven't yet. Um, but Airtable has a lot and there's other people um, that have added, Kavan's got a few in there. And these are basically scripts that will automatically uh, install into your scripting app and you can do them. And if you're learning how to script, these are great ways to see existing code that's working and you can kind of go line by line. So that's what we're gonna do now. Um, I chose this delete duplicates, which is basically a way that it will automatically find and delete duplicates based off of um, the field values within a single table. So you would just click add and it would automatically populate into here. And then now if we go into the editor, let's take a look at this code. Sometimes you gotta do it multiple times to get it to, to pop full screen. Um, so let's look at this. So we've got right here, this input.config. What that does is this will generate a UI that allows for asking information. It generates a form that you can actually see over here on the right. Um, that asks for information from the user that can then be used to inside of your automation. And the cool thing is, is um, they don't need to do this every time. So it will actually save the information that, that was entered. And then the next time you come, it will already be configured. You can always click on the settings button to come back to it um, like this to see it. So it's always there, but it's a way. So to, to store information from the user. So it's basically asking, so depending on this field right here or this uh, function, so this is asking for which table that do you want to run it on? Um, you know, the first identifying field, the second identifying field. So the, this is asking for a field, this parent table, um, which is Here. So these map in, in this first choice. And my internet. There we go. I'm back. Um, you can you can then um, extract the, the that information from the settings like so. And then now these are variables that you can use inside of um, 
your script. So now we go through here. I'll come back to this choose function, which we'll be used in a second. And then here, this I thought was interesting. I've never used this. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the same as just doing this, which is the syntax I use. So this is an object. This is an array. So an array is just when you have multiple items. So it could be an array of strings or it could be an array of objects. Um, but these brackets signify that it's, it's multiple items. This object is a single object that has key and value fields associated with it. Um, so that's a different syntax there. So now we're, we're um, basically getting all of the records from our table and they are being a good citizen and they pass in the only the fields that they need so that it doesn't give the error if you if you remove this it would pull all fields but it would give you a warning sign so this is a way to just limit it and say i only care about these three fields so just return those in my array so now it's just looping through all the records that got returned from our selection out of the table and this is interesting so what they need to do is they need to um, generate a unique identifier using the two fields that that were picked in our form so we have our first field and our second field and so right here they're generating an array you see right here we have our array start and our array end and then it's just got two items in it the value from our first field and the value from our second field and then it's using json.stringify which basically will convert this object into a string value called JSON uh, representation of, of an object. And so now that string value can be used for comparison purposes. And so here we're basically doing a check to say, have we already found a key that has the same value in the first and second ID? If we have, and it's already in our existing array, then we need to that means that we found a duplicate because the values are the same. The first ID and the second ID are the same. Um, so that means we've already seen this match before. And now we need to choose which one, um, which one we're going to keep and which one we're going to discard. So this choose function now uses that third field, this comparison field to determine which one um, we're going to keep. And so it basically says if whichever one has the greater value. So that's so you, so this comparison field is looking for the higher value. The higher value you're going to keep, the lower value you're going to discard. So that may not be what you're what you're looking for. Maybe you want the smaller value to keep. So you might need to change yeah. this to less than. I think the idea probably behind that was like the comparison field being the date created field or something like that and saying let me keep the most recent value because um it's using the greater hand symbol but if you're doing like you're suggesting maybe you want the lower the lesser value between the two that would be the first record that had that same value created so you keep yeah. the oldest and not the newest so there's yeah. different sort of approaches and you i guess that's where you would want to compare yep yep yeah, so if this was really robust, you'd maybe have like another yeah. option of 
how to, how you compare which one to keep and whatnot. So this one returns the higher and then it gives you, so this right here, <laughs> if you notice we're returning uh, this object right here that has a keep value a key and a discard key with the different records. And then what we're doing here is we're, we're extracting that um, I'm blanking on the name for, for what this is. Destructuring. Destructuring. Thank you. So we're destructuring it to basically extract it. It's kind of a shortcut. There's, mm -hmm. there's other ways where you could just return the variable and then extract the keep and the discard out of the object. Um, but this is a shortcut way to do it all in one line. And so now we have a variable for keep and discard. And so we're basically our discard, we're adding to an array to delete. And then our keep one, we're keeping that key value so that it's in our existing. And next time we come around, um, it will see that we've already got one in there. So if there's not a match, then we're just going to automatically add it to our uh, existing um, object so that, or array so that we know um, that it uh, will be in there. And um, now, and then the other cool thing is this will, this will now, um, this will print out a line. So output.markdown, this will print a line saying we've identified, you know, 50 records that need to be deleted. And then right here, you can proceed. So this is kind of a pause and it will basically, it won't, it won't move past this line until you click on one of the buttons, yes or no. And so your code, your script will just sit here and wait until you click on the button that I'll show once, once I get through this. And then it will store which button you clicked on, yes or no, inside of this decision. If you say no, then it will just print this out and you're done. If otherwise, that means you said yes, and now it's gonna print this out saying. And then now we're gonna do this um, while loop that basically, um, does will will basically delete in batches um, all of the items that were added to our delete array, and then it will say it's done. Now I've I've been um, now this is pretty common because um, this max record per call. If we look up, that's defined at the top right here to fifty. So that is because there's a limitation within Airtable that you can only delete or update or create um, batches of 50. So what you have to do is you have to do basically multiple loops in of 50 at a time until you get to 50. What I typically do is um, I, I can get this down to one line and I say like this, I use the splice command, um, which is similar to a slice. And so that one line right there is the same as, as this loop right here. So I'm going to delete that. And basically, this basically keeps going until, um, until there's none left within this delete. And the good thing about a splice, so not a slice, but a splice, is it will actually modify this array and it will keep, it will return 
the item zero to 50, and then it will modify the to do to do, delete array with everything after that. So it returns 50 to get deleted, and then the to delete will be everything else. And so then it will check again and say, okay, if there's still any remaining, we'll do it again. And then this gets reduced by 50 the next time and so on. So, so this right here, this, this single line is, is how I do most of my bulk updates. Cool. So good I, little, um, you, you would think that, what's that? I was gonna say, I never can remember the difference between slice and splice because they sound so similar. And, yep. you know, in JavaScript, remembering which function modifies the original input versus which one returns a new array or new object or what have you, it's difficult for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it took me multiple times to be like, okay, which one is it? And especially, you gotta be careful if you're doing deletes, you gotta make sure you get the right one. Yeah. You wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's more disastrous with delete than update because you could update with the same record a few times without you know any sort of actual problem. But if you try to delete a record that's already been deleted, it's gonna throw an error. Yeah, yep. we have a com yeah. I was gonna say we have there a comment go. from Jen. Um, it would be cool if you could uh, then update the one you kept to say that there was a new or old instance of that record deleted. Um, that I think you can do fairly easily with a, uh, you know, you would have to adjust the script to do it, but way up at the top when you're including, um, you're filling out the sort of settings form, if you were to add a new option for, you know, uh, notes field or something like that, you would you could then add additional pieces to your code that you know, rounds up how many duplicates of that one record that it found and then output some, you know, number to that field. It's something that you could do. It would just require some tweaks to how this uh, script is made. Yep. Or you could also you could select a um, a linked uh, record field mm -hmm. that linked to the 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 right one. So if you want to keep the one that you know you essentially would delete, but instead say hey, this one's outdated and link to the correct one is kind of like a way to keep it, but still link to the original. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot you could do. There are other scripts. I think I've got a script somewhere out there on Built on Air that, um, that does that where it can link like parent childs. You could kind of take that same concept with mapping, matching ones as well. So yeah, there's, there's a lot you could do to to enhance that for your specific needs, which is why it's good to learn scripting and tailor it towards your specific needs. Cause everybody, you know, even just something like this, you know, is something that somebody's gonna be like, oh, that's not what I need it to do. And so it's good to keep, roll up your sleeves a little bit and get in here and make some changes. But mm -hmm. these are always great starting points for, for, uh, um, how you uh, can learn how to modify things. Yeah. So let's run it real quick. Let me let me sidebar this and um, see what happens when we run it. So I created um, three. So these right here. So I'm using. I go back to my settings. Um, I think I have to finish. Oh, never mind. There we go. 
Yeah, so um, so I'm using the campaigns table. So my first identifying is name and status. One thing I realized, you, you don't need like a second if you just wanna use one field, that would be okay. But one thing that's kind of annoying about their configuration is once you select a field, you cannot unselect it. So mm. it has to be something I can't clear it out and say, oh, I don't want a second field. <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of annoying. Huh. Uh, so Airtable, try to fix that. Just put an X right there where you can clear out your selection. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so they these these all three of these have the same name and the same status. So these should all come back as duplicates. And then I'm using the budget value as the one to keep. So if this runs correctly, it should keep the eight thousand one because that's the higher because it's you looking for the higher value. So these two should get deleted. So let's give it a go and, and, and we'll see where it gives us the confirmation. So it identified two records in need of deletion. So that means it found three because it's gonna keep one and delete two, which is what we're expecting. So I'm gonna proceed and say, uh, let me just do no first. And so there you see it just canceled and then we're out of the run. So if I run it again, and then this time I'm going to say yes. And now it deleted those two and kicked the 8,001. So it worked. We deleted our duplicates based off of two fields and learned a little bit about scripting in the process. Yay. Very good. It's always good when things work. I was worried because I did make a couple of code changes, but all right. That concludes the uh, scripting time segment. We will now move on. Camille. I'm going to share your screen and we're going to talk about the button field. Okay. Um, I have a base that I use all the time for demonstration purposes because it has a lot sort of uh, going on in it. There's a lot of links and whatnot. And um, I was going to demonstrate some of the features of the button field. And one of the sort of hidden use cases of um, having a button field is if you have a synced table, you'd be able to go back to the original source of wherever that record came from. So um, imagine if you will, you had a table um, full of things associated with individual customers and you wanted to give a particular customer their own base. One way you would do that was to make a filtered view, only show me customer two, and you'll notice that this view is shared and has the lightning bolt on it, meaning that it's currently being synced somewhere else. That somewhere else is here. And you can see I've filtered down only the fields that I would need, showing only the things that apply to customer two. Um, but if I wanted to see more information about this record and you know, find out where, you know, what table and base this is even coming from. It's kind of difficult to get to get there just by like intuition. You could go up to your table options and sort of uh, click click the um, sync source button to get back to the table. But the way you would get to the record itself would be to create a button field. Um, and then you have a couple of different things. The default is an open URL. So it functions just like um, a URL field by default um, where you would insert a formula and that formula could just be, you know, google.com in quotes. 
But for this particular use case, you want to change the option to open source record. Um, you'll see a bunch of other options in here as well, but doing open source record um, will allow you to then do this. Um, if I click that button, it will open in another tab the original table and base that is being synced to this one, and it will expand the record of the original as well. So it's super useful uh, to get um, back to where a record originated from. And um, I believe if you make a button field in a table that is not synced, that option isn't there. Yeah, it's not there. So that's what I mean by it's sort of hidden. Mm -hmm. And I understand why it's not there by default, because it's not something that's useful for a table that isn't synced. There's no source record to go to. So, um, you know, the option isn't visible, but because it's not visible most of the time, some sometimes people aren't aware that it is an option whenever it is relevant. Um, so hidden sort of use case of the button field and um, some of the other uh, options that you have in here, aside from open URL, these are all more or less variations of the same effect. So all of these buttons here will allow you to open up a new um, or open up your apps window off to the right and open a particular app. Um, so some of these have been kind of custom coded to do particular things within the app itself, but most of these will just sort of open an app that you've assigned to it. Um, I think the most common one is probably uh, run script. So if you wanted to do the deduplication script that um, Dan just showed in the uh, previous segment, you could just have a button that lets you click once and it'll start running for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. You can kind of see they're doing, you know, they've got the Twilio um, integration. It's like, where do they cut off you know, like having a list of a million things that you could do off of a button versus I wonder if this will ever be extendable where you could dynamically, you know, build things into that list or something. I don't know, because I, I feel like it started off with like a couple of them and then they added a few more and then they added the open custom app thing, which is uh, not necessarily a literal custom app. So this is a bad example because I only have my app in here that happens to be a custom app, but you could choose, I think, any app from the app store yeah. that like, is not like a matrix or something. Yeah. You know, or that's like, not a custom app and it doesn't have its own little option. So right, right. Or page designer, like Jen mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, very true. So yeah, so there's a lot you can do there. Um one of the things that I do not like, and Camille, you'll appreciate this, is in the custom app development, those buttons aren't supported. Um, so you can't like display a button field inside of your custom app that then opens up like another app or something. Yeah, it is. Um, there's a there's a thing in custom app sort of development where you can. Uh, display a field in an app window exactly how it appears in a, in a view. So like this styling for a linked record, for instance, or 
this styling for single selects. You can do the same with buttons. It'll look exactly like a button would look over here, except it's not clickable. Um, it's just for display. So it's. I think if if it's a open a URL, I think it will still open the URL, but not as useful. Not any of the other ones. Yeah, it's um, it sort of gets to an underlying sort of thing that none of these apps really talk to each other. Um, apps talk to your tables and records. They don't talk to other apps within the environment. That's something that you would have to get really into the sort of nitty gritty of. And I think you would have to make some adjustments to the apps environment to make that possible. Yep, yep. So very cool. Buttons is great. What's the biggest flaw that button needs still? Oh, geez. Uh, for me, it's a, it's a custom apps thing where if I have a button that launches an app, just a single button, then I know what that button is supposed to do. But if I had two two buttons, one for approve, one for deny or something that are both supposed to launch an app or a script. I can't really easily say which button launched the app. So there's no, there's not really a way to say, okay, make this button do this thing, this button do another thing. They both would lead to the same place, which is a little frustrating. Yeah. I thought you were going to say dynamic labels. Well, that too. You know what? <laughs> Never mind. So that's that's much more applicable to people. So if I go to here, this uh, label would be the same label for um, all records. Open URL, open URL. You can't say like customer two commas website, right. customer threes comma website. It wouldn't be uh, dynamic to the record itself, which is kind of frustrating. Yeah. That's you can do like you can have it build the URL based on the other fields of that particular record because it's a formula, but the label itself is not dynamic. Yeah, that would be my number one complaint. But so Jen had a question for you. Do you need two apps and two buttons? You could. That is one method of doing it. But I, I don't I really don't like having multiple instances of the same app if I can avoid it um, in like dashboard design because it's it kind of gets confusing if you have too many um, going on at once. But I mean, that is one way to do it. You can have one, the approve button specifically tied to the one that's on the approved dashboard. And then you can have the deny button specifically tied to the app instance on the deny dashboard. That is a workaround you could do. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Thank you, Camille, sharing those insights into the button field and how people can use buttons to enhance their Airtable. Very powerful, and especially the syncing between uh, or linking back to the source record. So let's move on. One final uh, plug for the Built on Air community. We'd love if you're not already part of our community, sign up at builtonair.com slash join. Uh, we're about 850 members inside of our Slack community, and we have a goal to get to 1,000 by the end of the year. So. We need about 150 more people. So invite your friends, get them to join and participate in the discussion. There's great people in there that um, 
are always there. Jen is one of them. Glad Jen could be with us today. She's also in there and also been a great uh, person we've had on before. Mm -hmm. Need to get her back on. So with that, our final segment that we'll do is an industry view. And we're going to talk a little bit about no code. And that's a big buzzword going around the internet right now and how Airtable fits into that. So um, this is a little bit for my use purpose as well. I'm going to speak at a conference next week and they asked me to talk about Airtable and no code and how what's changing within the no code industry. So I thought we'd have kind of a little dialogue talking about uh, what no code means and what does that mean for, for people that are just getting into this. Um, so in general, so I kind of struggle with this. So I look at this as kind of a marketing buzzword of no code. I'm old enough to remember uh, GeoCities and basically building websites, you know, through like a GeoCity type site. And so I've been I've been writing code for 25 plus years, and and so the the term no code seems interesting to me. I, I kind of I'm like, what what uh, what isn't no code? What what SaaS product or what software product isn't no code? Uh, that is a really good question. <laughs> um, it, it's I think the most accessible answer for a lot of people is like, what is an example of something that is quote unquote no code is probably WordPress because something like a quarter of the internet is built out of WordPress. And yep. most people, if you've ever had to throw together a quick website for something, you probably at least vaguely familiar with WordPress and they have this whole two minute setup thing where they ask you a few simple questions and then you click the run button and it will set up your database for you. And it will, you know, uh, it has pre-designed themes that it will, you don't have to design the website from scratch necessarily. And from there it's, um, it gives you a sort of, a CMS or content management system environment where you, you, you're just filling out fields essentially for most people who use WordPress, there's no coding involved, but it's uh, if you want to step beyond, you know, the world of templates, or you want to customize things a little bit, or if you just want to add a touch more um, functionality, most people often use plugins and plugins are coded by somebody. So it's, no code is a strange sort of world to me because yeah. that it, it seems to be a fairly fairly common uh, conceit of no code is that uh, the sort of platforms that are no code based will give you the tools to build most of what you want by yourself without you know JavaScript or PHP or Java or whatever it is um, until you get to a point and you hit a roadblock and then there's something else you need. And in order to get that thing that you need, because there hasn't been an interface built for it yet, someone has to code it. It might not be you, but somebody has to make it. So, the you know, no code is uh, almost a misnomer. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, the, the comparison I was thinking about is, and I heard this on a podcast um, not too long ago, talking about like two to three years ago, the big buzzword that every company was using was big data. 
right? Mm-hmm. Every every company was big data, although Airtable is not big data. You can't say you're big data if you only have 50,000 records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but that was the big buzzword. Everybody said, oh, we're big data, we're big data. And it got to the point where it's like, once everybody's saying they're big data, then, then what's not big data? Mm-hmm. And so I think no code is, is approaching that status where everybody's saying they're no code. So who's not no code? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it comes back to, I, I like to describe it as an interface for things. Um, no code is providing a user with an interface to do something complicated. Yeah. And Integromat is probably my favorite example just because it is, it's the most intuitive sort of visual. Yeah. It's the, I think they even call themselves visual coding or visual yeah. something or other, but it's you're connecting dots essentially, and you're filling out fields with just text and you're, it, it tries to ask you questions that you could answer easily. Like what, what is the name of the table you're looking at? You know, what is the name of the field that you want and where do you want it to go? Connect the dots and it'll do the coding for you. And that's sort of the advantage of no code is that if you're completely foreign to some of these things, or even if you're not completely foreign, if you had to set up some of these systems from scratch every single time through coding, it would take you 30,000 years. Um, You don't want to do that. So yeah, so it's a couple of comments from Jen talking about, you know, it's basically GUI, drag and drop, a visual UI for, for programming. So if you've only used Airtable within their automations, the, the steps, you know, that's essentially, you know, a program that you're visualizing a trigger and then the steps that happen after it, that, that's essentially what Integromat does, but more advanced. So you see that within Airtable, Airtable is kind of interesting. There's another concept that Jen also mentions. There is actually a distinction between no code and low code. Airtable is kind of both, right? Because mm-hmm. it's got no code where you're setting up, you know, these automations and these and these processes and workflows in the database or through automations. But the scripting app is such a core uh, item, you know, element that that that's the kind of the low code aspect of Airtable where it lowers the barrier to write code, which I think is one of the huge advantages of Airtable is it definitely makes it very easy to get into um, scripting and even even formula writing is kind of a form of, of code. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the huge pluses for Airtable. Yeah, it's... Um... I had this kind of discussion with uh, Ben Green and Chris Dancy, I think last week, and it was um, some of the frustrations I have with tools like Webflow and uh, Bubble, which are both no code, sort of interface builder type things, um, is that they get you the, to me, to me, they focus too much on building a button for everything where if I wanted to do something that they haven't built an interface for, it's incredibly difficult. So the example with Webflow is um, pseudo classes for people who know it's uh, a little bit about CSS. It is way too hard to work with pseudo classes in Webflow because they haven't anticipated that need. So there's not a section of their, you know, visual website builder to do it. 
And that frustrates me as a designer because I want that sort of control and Airtable's position in a low code slash no code environment, they have to sort of straddle this line of, we want to make a button for as much as we need to, like they've most recently added uh, nested and grouped filters. So they've added buttons to let you do a certain amount of non-coding. Otherwise you would have had to build a complicated script to filter records yourself. And then providing you a scripting environment or a coding environment where you can do the custom stuff that you want to do that they haven't built a button for. But when you, there's, there's a path will diverge in the wood where they can go in either direction where they become this ultra efficient, super great user interface, or they can be this perfect database platform. And then you start, I, the, the one thing that I, uh, am wary of is uh, either side of the platform to suffer. If you focus too much on the visual interface and not on its performance as a database, like not increasing the number of records you could have, or if you focus on the number of records that you can have and less on the user interface, things are going to fall by the wayside in either time. And any any um, no-code slash no-code platform is going to um, have that same problem eventually. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's great. That's great insight. I do think like, you know, as Airtable and, and I've mentioned before, um, hearing Howie, the CEO, talk about the vision for Airtable when it was created and even now, and, you know, this concept of democratizing uh, coding for everyone, like that's the coolest thing that I love seeing. I think you you're like a perfect example of, you know, you weren't trained as a developer or coder, but by using tools like Airtable and others that you've used, like you've really increased your, your, your skills and it made it easier to get into that world. Um, the world that I got into coding, you know, I had to go through schooling and, and getting a server set up and everything that you have to do versus what you have to do with, with Airtable. It's just night and day. And so lowering that bar, making it easier for everybody to, to jump into this world. That's what I love seeing. And you see that people who have no experience writing code, you know, they'll ask questions in the forums and you see that they're getting better and they're understanding it through, through Airtable. It just makes it so much easier to get up and running. Yep. One of my favorite things to see on the forums is someone will have like a script that they've seen somewhere and they're customizing it for themselves. And they're, they're so close to a, a script that runs properly. And the problem that they're having isn't necessarily Airtable. It's just JavaScript. It's, it's like the, they're missing a colon somewhere. And I'm like, that's what I want to see. <laughs> Someone who's, who's gone through the process of, oh, I know what pieces of this script don't really apply to my use case. I know this piece of that script does. Let me try and combine them. And for the most part, I think the position Airtable is in right now is friendly enough that people are not, you know, oh, that window's not for me. I'm I'm not a coder. It's it's not, you know, you know, not having to run to hire a developer every time you need yeah. some button to do something. Yeah. It's really nice to see and 
you know, if I have to suffer through JavaScript, everyone should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. So, so my takeaway is, even though I'm kind of pessimistic on the the term no code and and kind of the buzzword marketing aspect to it, uh, like I don't think that it will. I think it'll go away because it'll kind of lose its its power once everybody's using it, which is yeah. pretty close to. But if you think of it from a philosophical way and not not necessarily a these are the tools that are no code, but thinking like no code philosophically, I think mm -hmm. that's powerful in the sense that you don't need to pay thousands of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and high end developers to build your idea. You can get up and going as quickly as tomorrow with, you know, without without those those skill sets. Um, so that's what I think the the philosophy of no code means is making it easier for anybody to get up and going. And then mm -hmm. the other thing is the the ability to um, have different platforms talk to each other. So that I think is very new. Like before the Zapiers and the Integromats of the world, mm -hmm. you you know some systems talk to each other directly. They had direct integrations, but there wasn't like a, an easy way to really be able to connect the dots like Legos between different systems. So yeah, a lot of silos. Product. Yeah. Lots of silos. And so you couldn't build a full product, um, you know, that did everything and, and, you know, and that would be super expensive. So I, the, the no code philosophy of this system does this, we can get it hooked up into this other system that does this. Now you have a full business running on these systems that can talk to each other and not have code um, involved. So that's the biggest. Yeah, I, I love Priscilla's uh, first comment. I was first introduced to coding my sophomore year in college in an honors uh, computer science class and engineering department. Needless to say, I was in way over my head and I was very intimidated. Um, I very famously <laughs> in my family, I was admitted to college in the computer, I think engineering. Um, it was either computer science or computer engineering as my degree. And in the uh, orientation week before school starts, they're like, you know, come to campus and, you know, see your facilities and whatnot. And I remember being so like looking around and being like, I don't want to be here. Ew. <laughs> I don't want to do computer science. And so I changed my major before school even started. And I remember the I think she was either the dean or the program director, but she was just like, no, please stay. stay. <laughs> I, I don't remember the exact makeup. Priscilla says there was only one other woman in her class of 20. I couldn't tell you how many women there were in, in my class. There weren't a lot, but you know, here I am six years later. Yeah. Well, longer than six years. That would have been, how old am I? Oh no, <laughs> um, that was 2013, 2012 or 2013. And um, here I am six years later and I make apps for a living somehow. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, to whoever that Dean lady was, I don't know, I came around, sorry. I think, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I did a master's in computer science 20 plus years ago and yeah, I'm sure it was the same numbers. It was mostly, nerdy guys like me and uh that that is one thing that's really cool about Airtable is the amount of women that are in this environment and doing yeah. coding and, and scripting like 
the number, the representation is much higher than industry average. I think it is, again, it's, I, I go back to the amount of people who just feel comfortable coding in the environment like of Airtable is just so nice to see. They've, they've put it, it's perfectly nestled in this fairly easy to use platform and, um, you know, Airtable is built off of JavaScript. And so the scripting app uses JavaScript. It is such a widely used uh, coding language that it's not hard to find tutorials from many, many different skilled tutorial um, writers. And then you get people like Kavan, friend of the show, and you get people like me who kind of coded a little bit. I mean, we're loosely associated with code. Me who dropped out of the computer science major before I even started. And we've since, you know, been able to learn within this very incredibly niche little market in roughly the span of a year. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice sort of place that we've gotten to. No, no code at this point is a, is the gateway drug into into coding. There we go. No code is the gateway. There, there's my punchline for my presentation. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to charge you royalties. All right. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, even just looking at, you know, our community here who's responding is, is, is all women. This That's awesome. So Yay. that um, it's cool. I'm the minority in, in this group. So that's good. <laughs> So that's that. I think I think it, it's powerful. I think that will um, change. I mean, that I've used I use Airtable. So all of my kids, I've got two daughters and two sons, and all of them for their science fair projects, I make them do coding projects. And um, the first one, my oldest daughter, she did theirs hers before I was using Airtable, but the rest since they've all done their science projects in Airtable. And um, it's a great way for kids to get into coding. Yeah. So a couple more comments before we end here. Appreciate all the feedback, Priscilla and Jen. And um, yeah, so there we go. Maslow's hierarchy, low code is the gateway of coding. Mm -hmm. Very good. Great discussion. I think, um, you know, it's, it's cool to see it. And that's where our table, like, if they're smart, I've actually told them like they need to be like Apple where Apple got into all the schools early, you know, and got people using mm -hmm. Apple products like Airtable needs to get into schools and be how they learn database yeah. design and coding. They, they kind of made a half step in terms of uh, <clears throat> during COVID they had that, I think it was even slightly before COVID where they just made Airtable free for education users and had this sort of like push and, um, all that kind of things. I think if they continue on that path and, you know, trying to get it. So I, I think the first thing I used Airtable for was like a, a school-based project anyway. It's such a, you know, no one wants to build an SQL query to, to deal with a college assignment or a high school assignment or, you know, even less so a middle school assignment. So get in early. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. We went a little long, but I think that's a very, um, that's a good discussion that maybe we'll pick up another time. I think there's a lot that 
we can learn from that. So appreciate your, your input. Um, Camille, good to see you again. Thank you, Jen and Priscilla and all those that listened in live. And until next time, we want to see what you've built on air. Please share with us, join our community and come, come join us on the show. We'd love to see what you've built on air. Talk to you next time. Bye guys. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, ontair.com, and we will see you next time on the Built On Air podcast. <laughs>